0: good evening church amen I want to say I'm honored tonight to be filling in for our pastor who is he looked uh, Pastor Elbert talked about this morning about how it looked like Pastor Blake was having fun I believe he really is having fun and uh, he posted on Facebook about how if they kept feeding him like that he might not come back and I told him that wasn't acceptable on the return comment (laughs) amen so Pastor Blake, when you're listening to this, come back. And I'll go down and eat the food for you. (laughs) If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. The reason why young people are so important and why we don't mind offering to help Dylan is because every one of us who have started out in ministry with the exception of my former pastor in Waco, started out as youth pastors. And so I know how hard it is being the youth pastor. Been there, done that, got the hat, the t-shirt, and a few black eyes to go along with it. And it's, it's, it's difficult, and you can tell they twist my arm to go to Colorado, right? I mean, any excuse I have to go to my most favorite place on earth, I'll take it. I love Colorado. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 reads, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of, of laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will... We do, if God permit. Father, tonight, as I endeavor to bring forth your word, Lord, I pray once again that your anointing be upon me. Lord, let me speak the words that you would have me to speak, Lord, and stay away from those words that you would not have me to speak. And Father, it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Spiritual growth is something that's close to me, It's something that is important to me. I want you to look here. It says, not laying again the foundation of repentance. It didn't mean that we're supposed to completely abandon the doctrine of Christ and abandon the teachings of Christ. But essentially what the writer of Hebrews was here telling us is that Jesus is our foundation. Now that the foundation in our life is laid, let us build upon that foundation and let God build something in our life that will be fire tested and stand through that judgment, through the judgment of believers I also believe that spiritual growth is like everything else it's a process, it doesn't happen overnight you don't go from being a Saul to a Paul in just a matter of minutes, if we read about saul converting into paul we read that there it was a several year process of growth and being discipled and being raised up in the lord the same man who went and persecuted the church was now preaching the gospel and helping build the church and so you know spiritual growth comes kind of like in four phases just like our natural growth does i remember when i was 13 and i was starting to change and starting to enter the age of puberty, my dad sat down and had a talk with me one night. Basically, my dad told me that night that there are four phases to a man's natural life. And when you parallel it with the spirit, it's the same thing in spiritual growth. There's four phases of a man's spiritual growth, just like there is a man's natural life. And those processes, it grows, and it takes time, and it doesn't like I said earlier, happened overnight. My daddy told me that the first phase of a man's natural life is he would believe in Santa Claus. My dad told me the second phase of a man's natural life is he didn't believe in Santa Claus. The third phase of a man's natural life, my dad told me, is you are Santa Claus. (laughs) And the fourth and final phase of life, of which I am preaching to you from tonight, is you begin to look like Santa Claus. (laughs) And so you have those same four stages for your spiritual life as well. The first stage of a spiritual life, obviously, is the baby stage. How many of you remember being a babe in Christ? Sometimes I think I still am because sometimes I see some of those old traits coming back. If we turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 quickly, and I because I don't want to burn too much of your evening dancing all over scripture. Paul addressed the Corinthians about how he couldn't address them the way that he wanted to. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You know, that, that baby stage, there's some characteristics that I wrote down that I want to talk to you about the baby stage. And kind of look at these things because maybe you might see some of these things in your life and these are not good things, all right? These are things that we need to allow God to change, not us change. But if we see these traits, we need to say, Father, I really need you to get that out of me because that's embarrassing. It, it, it would be almost like this. I hope I don't feed back here. It it, it would be kind of like this. Can you imagine someone 30 years old in the spirit still coming to church every week, week after week, still acting like a baby? Someone that should have grown and matured by now spiritually. But yet he comes to church looking like an infant and comes to church... I may have sure you've got your son to help me on this. <laughs> and they're just like this, on the floor, saying, feed me, pastor. Feed me. Give me my milk, pastor. <laughs> that looks kind of foolish, don't it? But if you go to churches, there are people who look like just that. Foolish. A baby thinks only of itself. A baby's feelings are easily hurt. Often jealous. Tries to talk. It makes no sense. A baby lives to be served and does not serve. Cries and never sings. I remember I gave a prophetic word to a church down in southwest Texas one time. I told him, Lord, show me you're fixing to have a, a baby, a a diaper. A diaper era in your church the next year when I came back they were like do not ever prophesy about diapers in our church again (laughs) it wasn't physical babies it was spiritual babies they were in a town of 60 people can you imagine a town of 60 people we have 60 people that live on one street up here down there they're just spread out so they basically had a mega church even though they only had about 30 people in it They had 50% of their town's population in their church. We got. We need to grow beyond the baby stage. We need to get off the milk as quickly as possible. I remember when the twins were babies and Martha first started attempting to feed the twins applesauce. More of it was coming out than it was going in. And not only did we have to put bibs on them, but we had to put bibs on us as well. Pastoring is a nasty job. And I know Pastor Blake's heart well enough to know that Pastor Blake wants to see us all grow. You know, there's nothing more joyful as a pastor than to watch people grow. And and when you've been in the ministry for a long time, you see even the young people that first came to your church as little kids who are now married adults with kids of their own. That's when you know you are in the Santa Claus stage of your life. Then there's that little child stage. If you look at 1 John 2.13, he addresses them as little children. And you see that that little child is untruthful, envious, cruel. You know, some of the meanest people I've ever met were church folks. Literally. I, I, I kid you not. I remember one night I was playing drums at a church. This lady came up, she didn't like how I played him, so she told me to can the drums while she sang. Woo, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can the drums. I don't care who you used to play for. Boy, you can't play anymore. Can them. And if rebuked, he or she becomes a martyr. How many times have you seen little children Christians get rebuked? and corrected by someone in the church. Well, I'll just go somewhere else. Bless God. Who are you to correct me? So you're the pastor. So big deal. Who are you to correct me? i tell you why, he's your pastor. That's who he is. Take the correction and move on, and grow up and mature. They love to be praised, and seek only that which appeals to themselves. Thirdly, there's that young man day, First John two twelve, John addressed the young men in that church. What are the characteristics of young men? Well, they're strong. I remember when I used to be strong. I tell everyone I went from being a hunk to a chunk. Praise the Lord. They're strong. They're able to overcome the enemy. Has a vision and the faith to acquire that vision and is always preparing for more of what God has for them. And probably, honestly, that's where I am in my life, still that young man stage. Then fourthly is that father stage, and you know so few Christians, so few Christians reach this stage because so few people are willing to put forth the discipline and the time that it requires to really become that spiritual father type. First John 2.13, John addressed the father's, The father has peace with God, knows the peace of God, rejoices in his spiritual children, has learned to be content in all situations, enjoys the abundant life to the fullest measure. Beloved, that's where I want to get. But it's not going to happen overnight, and I'm still growing. Me and Dylan were sitting over here. He asked me tonight, what are you preaching? I said, spiritual growth. He goes, man, that's great. We all need that. I'm like, yeah, I'm still growing up too. All of us are. None of us will ever fully obtain everything. As Paul said, we know in part and see in part. No one has ever gained the full knowledge and revelation of God. Your brain will short circuit and blow up. (laughs) I know mine would. If I ever got it all at one time. It would be like that baby spiritual. How many of you remember those baby plungers? They look like this. These were back in the 60s and early 70s. I remember because my mom had one for my baby brother. I had fun with it one night. Mom goes, you want to feed your brother? I said, yeah, I did. And I took that thing and went, and he went. Sometimes that's what pastors want to do to you. Just cram it all in. What are eight things? But, you know, it, it, I want to cover some things that can kill spiritual growth first before we go into the things that can bring spiritual growth. You know, how many of you have ever had your mom say, ah, oh, you'll never do that. You'll, you won't be successful in that. I remember back in my days of sin when I was pursuing rock and roll as a career. The theme song of my life used to be I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Now the theme of my life is I want to praise the Lord all night and read the word every day. But there are eight things that can kill spiritual growth in your life if you let it. The first is family tapes. Family tapes are negative statements from authority figures in early life that can reverberate for years. I remember how my mother used to say, son, there are thousands of men trying to become rock and roll drummers. I'm like, yeah, well, don't remind me of how many of them are going to be disappointed will not make it and they don't. That was my attitude. I knew what she was trying to do. You see, Jacob's mother taught him how to cheat and take shortcuts, devious shortcuts. More wisely, the parents of John the Baptist spoke words that reminded him of his mission and purpose on earth. The second thing that can destroy our spiritual growth is status quo peers. Those are people who we continue to choose to be friends with who are poor examples. It removes our initiative, our incentive to grow. And time spent with more Christians would spur us on to more growth. So be careful who you choose to be your friend in your life and who you choose to hang out with. Another one is not something that any of us are doing here, and that's attending a dead church. You know, i I tell you what I have seen in the three years that we've been here, I've seen people leave here that it just blew me away when they left. And then they go off to a funeral home or a morgue or a mausoleum that they call a church. Don't attend a dead church. Fourthly, failure to learn from past mistakes and sins. I tell you what, folks, God's grace can turn the unpleasant consequences into wisdom if you let him. Fifthly, laziness. This is something that plagues our young generation. Without making demands on ourselves, we will go nowhere. Each day we should reach for new insight or experience and ask God to give us direction. Show us what lies ahead so that we can start equipping ourselves and being equipped so that we can pursue those things and be in the will of God. Bitterness, unforgiveness leads to walking in darkness. I'm gonna tell you what bitterness will also do. It will kill you. It will utterly destroy you. I have a loved one in my life that told me one day, well, God's just going to have to forgive me for not forgiving them. I'm kind of like, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. We've got to learn to forgive. I'm going to cover that in a minute. Bitterness will kill you. Distractions. Think of all the distractions that we have in this world today. Game Boy, PlayStation. What did I miss? Xbox, yeah, my son's got one of those. Facebook too, amen, Yep. We can allow too many things to distract us in life if we're not careful. Self-focused growth. Boy, I tell you what, we've got so much self-focused growth and we got a lot of pastors out there who love to preach on self-focused growth. Can I do this and not get in trouble? Who am I doing? I'm sorry tell you what true growth comes when we know our purpose is to honor God and who delights in our maturity and not misdirect self. but I want you to know tonight there are some things that I believe that God has showed me over the years that I've applied to my life I want to share them with you tonight things that I believe will help you grow things that I know have Help me grow. The first one in Philippians chapter 3, around verse 13, Paul said, Putting, well, let me just turn there and read it real quick because now my mind just, how many of you just had your mind just go, yeah, well, that's what mine just did. The first thing I want to talk about is learning how to forget. And (laughs) that's exactly what I just did. I forgot. It says, Forgetting what is behind and pressing. Forward to the high to the mark to the high calling of God. We need to learn how to forget. We need to learn how to put our past behind us. Or put our behind in the past. It's time to walk away from all the old things that we did years ago. And forget those things. Why? Because God already has. If you've asked for his forgiveness, if you've 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 laid those things at the altar. Don't pick them up and take them with you. Forget them. I know the devil will come back and remind you. Men, sometimes your wife will come back and remind you. Bless God. I know the Bible says those who found a wife have found a good thing. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Dwayne. Your friends will remind you. I was in Waco at a funeral earlier this year. A classmate of mine passed away. He just turned 50 and he decided to check out. I'm not planning on checking out until either Jesus returns or I'm about 122. I plan on living to be a long old man so I can hang around and haunt my kids a little longer. Make them drive me around. I'm gonna go live with them and play on their Xbox, burn their electricity. Bless God. We gotta learn how to forget. Friends will come up to you, oh Rob, man, I remember when you used to drown with someone. So I'm like, would you please not remind me of that? Rob, I remember when we did that. Yeah, let's let's don't go there. Let's not remember that. That's not a pleasant thing. God's done some great things in my life. Let me tell you what he's doing in my life today. Let me stand here and testify to you and tell you what he can do in your life as well. Put the past behind you and go forward with the Lord. Amen. And go forward in the things of the Spirit. Amen. Secondly, learn how to forgive. We talked about bitterness a while ago. If we expect Jesus to forgive us, we've got to be willing to forgive those who trespass against us without any discrimination of all, at all. We've got to learn how to forgive people. Listen, if we walk around in unforgiveness, God ain't going to forgive you, and you're not going to be used of God, and you're going to be so miserable that you're going to be like them guys on Hee Haw, singing gloom, despair, and agony on me. Oh! I'll stop there. Thirdly, learn how to pray. Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He said, pray ye in this manner. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor at Church on the Rock, our, one of our pastors had wrote a book called Could You Not Terry One Hour? So everyone would come to church Monday through Friday and work and labor diligently to try to pray for an hour. And I watched some of them people fall asleep. At 6.15 and 6.20 in the morning. Lay their head on the altar. My oh boy, that's a neat prayer in the spirit. Bless God. Listen, folks, God's not interested in quantity time. He's interested in quality time with him. Beloved, let's learn to pray so that when we get before God, when we're praying with him and praying before him and talking to him and communicating with him, and then we shut up. We take time to listen to him so that he can speak back. If we expect God to give us audience during our prayers, we need to make sure that we give God our audience so that he can speak back to us. We need to learn how to develop a constant attitude of prayer so that while we're at work boxing up or talking to a customer on the phone or doing whatever it is that we do, that we're still praying even though that no one's consciously around us aware that, hey, Dylan's over there praying while he's sending out that email. We've got to learn how to develop that constant attitude of prayer. You you never know when you're going to need it. You might be driving down the highway and all of a sudden, you know, you live here in Dallas with me. You know how it is. Man, 80% of these people have no business with a driver's license. First time I ever told someone to send that thing back to Sears, my son's like, why Sears? Is that where you go to get your license? I said, no, Sears Driving School sign. It's where they learn how to drive. Fourthly, when you learn how to pray, learn how to believe God for your miracle. Hebrews 11, 1, 6 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things not seen. It goes on to say that if you're going to believe that God is, you've got to have faith to believe that God is. And without it, you can't please God. Because if you don't have faith to believe that God is, then that means you don't believe that God is. Did I lose you on that? I nearly lost me on that. Learn how to believe God for your miracle. A strong faith, church, sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. I remember in July of 2004, 10 years ago next month, I was, preaching a revival in Natarita, Colorado. And I arrived there on a Friday night. I left here Friday morning, arrived in Natarita that Friday evening. And I stayed at the evangelist quarters at the church, and the pastor came by the next morning, got me, and he had to go mow the grass at the post office in Redville, Colorado, because his dad owns the post office. I'm kind of like, okay, that's cool. You own the post office in a little town south of here. So we go down and mow the grass, and afterwards he said, I want to take you by to introduce you to one of the families that goes to our church that lives down here in Redville. It's about 10 miles apart. And their son came out of the room. They had to modify their mobile home because their son had been in a motorcycle accident two years before. And he had plunged his motorcycle some 2,500 feet down the side of a mountain in an accident on State Highway 141 between Natarita and Redville. And he was in a wheelchair, and his dad said, I'm praying that God's going to raise this kid up out of the wheelchair. So we prayed for him right there. And I told him, I said, before this week's out, you're going to walk, and you're going to be out of that wheelchair. Why? Because we got to start speaking things. we got to call things that are not as though they are, church. It's time that we stop walking around with the poverty mentality and that we start walking around. I'm not preaching the blab it and grab it. But I'm, I'm also telling you that there are things that when we ask, we don't need to ask miss. That we need to ask God believing that these things are going to really come to pass. On Thursday night, the last night of the revival, laid hands on the kid and come up out of the wheelchair. And I got pictures of it. Somewhere at the house, empty wheelchair, and a young man by the name of Mark standing up. He wasn't really standing on his feet, but he was doing something he hadn't done in over a year. And that was putting one foot in front of another and walking towards the door. And you got to be really old to know what that one means. Amen. How many of y'all know I had a heart attack? I don't know if I've ever told y'all that. I had a heart attack. August the 9th, 2002, on my wife's birthday. 2002, I was carrying a, a weekend evangelistic schedule on the weekend, and I was working at Lattimore Materials hauling concrete during the week, and Martha had asked me not to schedule anything that weekend because it was her birthday, and I've been on the road every weekend for weeks, months. We, our, our, Back in those days, we didn't get a weekend off very often because people would call us and want to know when we could come. And uh, I had to be at work at midnight that morning, on Friday morning, and about somewhere between 4 and 4.30, I started having chest pains, couldn't breathe. I'm driving a loaded concrete mixer. Not a good combination. I drove the truck to the job, unloaded the truck, and drove it back to the plant. I told my boss, I said, I think I have a problem here. Well, I told him what the problem was, and when it started, he's like, why didn't you radio us from the job? Because driving back was not the smart thing to do. You know, well, I'm a man. What can I say? Tough guy. So they hauled me to Plano, I was working in Frisco at the, at the, well, I was working at Prosper, the Prosper plant. Frisco Fire Department came and loaded me up in their meat wagon and hauled me down to Plano, the Presbyterian. And all about an hour and a half, being there, the, the bright young ER doctor comes in and says, well, you've had a heart attack. I'm like, well, really? You think? I'm laying here, I got an IVM on him. I got all kinds of tubes running on my chest. You think? And he said, well, you're probably going to be here with us for a few days. I'm like, no, I don't have a few days. And in our conversation, he said, well, are you refusing treatment? I said, no, I'm not going to refuse treatment because if I do, I'm going to have to deal with my wife, my mother, and my mother-in-law. And I make it a point to never have to deal with my wife, my mother, and my mother-in-law. And when you've been married for 24 years, you'll learn happy wife, happy life. But I told him, I said, today's my wife's birthday. This is not a good day for me to be here laid up in your hospital. Because I promised her I would take this weekend off from preaching. I've got nothing on the schedule. I've got to be home this weekend with my wife. This is her birthday. The doctor said, well, it's not going to happen. I said, yeah, it is. I said, I'm going to be out of your hospital by noon today. He said, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. So they left, and I knew how it was going to happen. I began to pray. I reached out to Dr. Jesus. Let me tell you something. I'm praying. I don't know how long I had been praying in the spirit. And suddenly I looked up, and above me is this man, well-dressed man, nice suit. Had about a 300-pound gold cross hanging around his neck. Big old thing. If it whacked me in the head, it would knock me out. And he said, son, I've been in here quite a while listening to you praying. He goes, you pray in English? And, but what's the other language you're praying in? It's such a beautiful language. And, and when, when you pray, he said, I just feel this presence that I've never felt before. I'm like, well, who are you? He said, I'm the chaplain. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> he said, so what language is that? I said, well, I'm praying in the Spirit dummy he's presbyterian he can't help it (laughs) he said praying in the spirit i said yeah he goes well you're supposed to be able to interpret what you were praying then if you were praying in the spirit i said i really don't know what i was praying i said but i think i have a good idea of what i was praying for healing He said, healing? I said, yeah, man, I've got to be out of this hospital by noon today. Today is my wife's birthday. I'm spending the whole weekend with her. That doesn't happen very often. He started laughing. He said, son, no one in their right mind believes that God heals them anymore. I want you to know I reached up and I grabbed him by his 300-pound cross and I pulled him down to where we were nose to nose and eyeball to eyeball. And I said, buddy, I want you to know something. I am in my right mind and I want you to know that God is going to heal me and you're going to watch me walk out of this hospital at noon today. <laughs> Sometime later, all of a sudden, all these bells and whistles start going off on of my machine. I'm <laughs> like, oh man, I, I didn't know if I needed to start singing my near my God to be or what. <laughs> Alarmed me, pulled me out of my sleep. Doctors come running in, and they're looking, and the doctor's like, he's looking at the EKG tape, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. They're checking my blood pressure, which had been off the chart. Now my blood pressure is textbook perfect. They're trying to figure out what's going on, praise God. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to them, and I realize what's happening because I feel this burning all over my body. I know what's happening. There's some virtue flowing down from the throne of God. There's a healing touch happening in my body right there. Listen, it's time that we learn to believe God for the impossible. When they tell you it's not possible, with God, all things are possible. Yes, I walked out of the hospital at 11.55 a.m. that morning, five minutes ahead of schedule. But before they let me leave, before they were convinced that God had healed me, like I was sitting there trying to explain to them, I'm telling you what's happened, Doc. In that time my wife calls Rob, I just found out I can't get to the hospital right now. I've got court. I'm like, don't even worry about it. I'm fine. God's healed me. I'll be home later. They take me upstairs. I'm going to confess something to you tonight. I have a phobia. I hate elevators. If I was a paralyzed man, I'd find a way to walk up them stairs. (laughs) I don't do elevators unless you want to carry a mop and a mop bucket with you. Never put me on an elevator. They wheel me up to the elevator to take me up there to do a stress test on me. I'm like, I'm not getting on that thing. I'll have another heart attack. And God's done healed me from this one. So I'm heading, I get up out of the wheelchair. He goes, where are you going? I said, those stairs. He said, well, I can't let you walk up them stairs. You're liable to have another heart attack and drop dead. He goes, we got five floors to climb. I'm like, then hop on, Cassidy, let's go. We get up to the fifth floor, and he's the one huffing and puffing and not me. He's sucking wind. I'm healed, I know I know, just like Peter, when Peter got busted out of prison, I know in whom I have believed. They put me on that Walker deal, you know, that treadmill. Yeah, that's what it's called, treadmill. They hook up these things to me. They're gonna do a sonogram on my heart. He's got the chest x-ray. He's looking at where the damage is. He's looking and goes, I don't see no damage on this heart. Did y'all send me the right chest x-ray? The doctor's like, yeah, that's the right chest x-ray. That's his. He goes, I'm not seeing any damage on this heart. I get on the treadmill. They start walking me. He said, now, if your heart starts giving out, don't be a hero. I'm like, dude, I ain't worried about my heart giving out. I'm worried about my bad will here, my right knee giving out before that gives out. I got up there. I did the stress, the treadmill. Then they had it like this. I felt like I was doing the incline in Manitou Springs. I was younger then, a lot younger, 12 years younger. The doctor looked at it, and he's like, there is nothing wrong with this man. Send him home. 11.55, I walk out. They've called me a cab to carry me back to work so I can get back to work. The chaplain comes running out. He said, I just heard, and I can't believe it. I'm like, yeah, and that's why you don't ever receive anything from God, because you Don't believe. Beloved, we need to learn to believe. There are times when believing God's the only way we're gonna get it. I know I spent a lot more time on that one than I planned to. But I got in the cab with Mohammed, the Iranian cab driver who offered me a flower to make me smell better. And I testified to that little Muslim dude all the way back to Prosper about how Jesus had healed me in that hospital that very day. And that's why I was riding home with him. And that he needed to make Jesus the Lord of his life. Learn how to believe. Another thing we need to learn to do is worship. Folks, in the Gospel of John chapter four, Jesus met the woman at the well. Told her about her life. And she said, well, sir, my fathers worshiped on this mountain. Jesus said, woman, I tell you, there is a day and that has now come that God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Beloved, if we're going to grow spiritually, we need to learn to worship God and praise him and thank him for all the blessings that he has bestowed on our life. Praise and worship comes easy for those who have learned to, to count their blessings. And learning to worship in spirit and truth comes when we learn to flow in his anointing and allow his anointing to flow through us. Sixthly, learn how to give. I love it when Pastor Elbert gives us giving messages. I get some great ideas. Like, at the heart of giving is giving from the heart. Or how about this one? Sow today what you want to reap tomorrow. Or for a quick check on your heart, check your checkbook. And what about your children's inheritance? I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. It's not what you leave them. It's what you leave in them. That should concern you more. And you know what? You can't take it with you. But I tell you what, beloved. You can send it on ahead by laying up treasures in heaven. (laughs) Lastly, learn how to witness i tell you what, our, the vision of our church is right there on the wall. Evangelism, discipleship, and, and church planning. But it all comes down to evangelism because, folks, if we don't evangelize, we're not going to have anyone to disciple. And people are going to perish, and they're going to go to hell, and then it's going to be our fault for not fulfilling the mandate that God has put on all of our lives. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He didn't say, hey, you, and you, and you, you go. He said all of us. You don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to have a tent or a pulpit to go and witness and share the gospel with someone. All you gotta learn how to do is have some compassion, And allow yourself and allow God to interrupt your life. To be a witness for him. I'm going to close with this. We were pastoring in Lorena, Texas, just south of Waco. and I was excited. I was on my way to a Carmen concert. Love Carmen. I met Carmen when I worked for Word when he was on our record label. Great guy. I used to call Martha up from work. Martha, I got to go to the airport and pick Petra up today. Martha, I got to go to the airport and pick up another one today. Martha, you'll never guess who rode my car. Picked up Amy Grant today from the airport. You know, it's a cool job. When I worked in ministry resources at Word Publishing. I was on my way to the Carmen concert and Martha and I lived in South Waco at the time and the... Heart of Texas Coliseum was only a few miles from our house, and that's where we were on our way to to watch the concert I was. Martha was staying home to study that night. She was in law school. And I come across a van broke down on the side of the service road there just south of town as I was coming up to get on the highway to head in. And it was a church van, and I stopped. And the youth pastor was just like, man, I don't know what happened to my van. He said, it just quit. I said, are you out of gas? He said, no, man. He said, we just filled up back in Temple. 42 miles. He said, it just quit. He said, it just went dead. He said, it won't start. He said, it just turned over and it won't fire up. Raised the hood, looked at it. It's kind of a cold January night. It was drizzling. And I'm thinking, man, I really want to go to this concert, but I can't leave these people. Stranded on the side of the highway, so I, one of the sponsors with the youth group, got in the car with me, and I drove him up the road to a motel just right up the road from from where we were, and I talked to the desk manager. He allowed the guy to make the long distance call back to Beeville to let his pastor know that they had broke down. Beeville is quite a ways from there. And it was going to take hours for them to get another van. And I knew at that moment that I was not going to the Carmen concert that night. I had a 1984 Mustang convertible. And I shuttled, I don't know how many kids, from the van to the motel to wait there. And when I got the last of everybody there, and they left the van I heard one of the kids say, man, I sure am hungry. I could sure really, really eat something right now. So I called a friend of mine who owns a pizza place there in Waco and I told him, I said, Roland, I got some kids broke down here and I said, what kind of a deal can you make me on some pizza tonight? So he made up a bunch of pizza. I ran back by the house, grabbed the church checkbook, went, bought them pizza that night and it was a witness to them. One of the kids told me, he said, you know, brother, he said, you told us you were on that way to that concert too. You could have easily just left us on the side of the road and kept on going to get there. i tell you what, folks. Sometimes we've just got to learn to be inconvenienced, to be a witness, because we never know what our actions. Listen, we're the only epistle some people are ever going to read. We're the only Bible some people are ever going to read. What are, what are they reading when they see us? When the world looks at me, do they see a Pentecostal preacher or do they see Jesus? When the world looks at me, do they see Robert Starr or do they see Jesus? I want them to see Jesus because you see, it's not about me. It's all about him. Ministry is about him. If you're in the ministry and it's about you, (laughs) you're going to have a long, miserable career in the ministry. When the Bible No longer is your guide to life, but it becomes nothing more to you than a tool of your trade. There is something drastically wrong with you. Would you stand with me tonight?